Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Well, folks, today as the Beyond Surviving podcast enters its eighth season. Holy cow, how did that happen? (laughs) I am feeling called to do something really special for 2021. Every month, I'm going to be interviewing a beyond surviving graduate. These amazing men and women, oh my gosh, I've had the great honor to walk alongside them in their healing journeys, and they're going to be sharing their own stories of healing. We're also going to be discussing topics that they long to bring attention to, Things like overcoming chronic pain, cultivating deep self-love, conquering fear, finding one's voice, the healing power of art, navigating the court system, and so much more. Now, I thought to start off the series, I would kick things off with my own story and what life really looks like for me now 14 years after creating the Beyond Surviving program and really living by the principles of the program. I'm going to share how my story has evolved and changed over the years due to continued integration of the abuse that I experienced. I'm going to get real about some of the fears that I had to overcome 
to even step into this work. I'm going to share some of my favorite success stories of my clients. Oh, that's going to be a tough time because there are so many, um, but I'm going to try, try to narrow in on a few and, and just talk about some of the people who I've had the great honor to mentor over the years. And I'm also going to share with you a little bit about what I'm hoping that Beyond Surviving 2021 is going to bring. So for those of you who've been following the podcast for a while, you've likely picked up bits and pieces of my story along the way. And today I'm going to share a bit of a fuller version um, than the one that I shared back in 2016 um, in the early days of the podcast. And one thing that I've really come to understand over the years is that our stories evolve. What feels important to name changes. What we care about highlighting shifts. So first things first, I'd like to tell you my today version of my story. My story always begins in Oklahoma. And there's a good reason for that. I loved growing up in the country. I grew up in a little town called Bartlesville. And this little town was just outside of Tulsa. That was our big city that we ran off to as teenagers to live a life. And um, it bordered Kansas. And so we often drove over the border into Kansas to hang out there too. And this little town for me, while maybe in numbers wasn't actually that small, in experience, it definitely felt small town, particularly as a kid growing up. I lived right across the street from this huge park. And what I loved about that is from the age of five years old, I could run out, cross the street, go into the park and play. It was a beautiful time in life where we weren't quite as concerned. Um, we probably should have been <laughs> in some ways, but I just had all of this space. I also had like an acre out in the backyard and I could run around in my backyard too. And that's one of the things that I really recall the most about growing up. I had all of this room and all this space to explore and to play. I was so innocent. I would really just run down to the apartment buildings down the block from where I lived. And I would just start knocking on doors and, hey, do you have anyone I can play with? <laughs> and I mean, looking back at that, I'm like, my heart skips a beat. But, you know, nothing bad ever happened. And that really matters that I had all these beautiful experiences growing up where adults were trusted. Adults were good to me. Uh, I had, you know, friends and I could go to the park and just spontaneously connect with people there. At the age of five years old, my grandfather came to live with our family. And this was a real turning point in my life. I had an older brother and sister. They were much older, nine years and 10 years older. So by the time I was five, they were in very different times in their lives, right? My brother and her and my sister were teenagers. So their minds were on different things than playing with their little five-year-old sister. Um, they weren't ever cruel or mean or dismissive. They were just not there. So when my grandfather came to live with our family, I was really excited about this. And I took to it very quickly, very easily to nurturing him, to spending time with him. I thought it was the most coolest, amazingest thing that I got to take him his bowl of cereal at night. He always ate cereal at night, um, complete with his two packets of, you know, sweet and low. 
And I remember just being in the kitchen and putting everything together and making sure that it looked just right and it was pretty and, and feeling really grown up carrying that tray to his bedroom and setting it there on his table and then sitting and, you know, talking and watching TV or whatever we ended up doing that evening. My grandfather and I spent a lot of time on the front porch. This also is, you know, one of my favorite things about country living, front porches. And now that I live in San Francisco, I'm always dying for a front porch. <laughs> so I have a back one with a little rocking chair, which is lovely and wonderful. But it was a really wonderful way of spending time together. We, as a family, had so many experiences on that front porch. My dad sitting, smoking a cigarette, talking, telling stories. My mom and I sitting there in the swing porch, on, in the front porch swing, talking and hanging out, certainly playing there, drawing, coloring, sitting on the front porch steps, singing a lot, watching the world go by. We had lots to see in the park across the street and the cars driving by in front of us. And so this was such a sacred place for me, looking back. It held so much meaning and comfort. When I was 10 years old, one day my grandfather was going out to sit on the front porch, and so I hopped up to hold the screen door open for him, and I was going to just go ahead and go back inside and keep watching my TV show, but he gripped a hold of my arm, and I remember thinking, okay, he wants some company, fine, I'll go hang out with him a little bit, and then I'll go back to my TV show. So I sat down next to my grandfather, and I cuddled up next to him like I always did. This was another part of my personality and my character as a little girl. I was cuddly and affectionate. If there was a lap, I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be close. This day was the first day that I fully consciously remember my grandfather molesting me. I remember being scared. I remember shutting down. I remember freezing. I didn't know any of those things or what were happening to me. I just remember feeling off. Something was wrong. I remember thinking he didn't realize what he was doing, that it was just a mistake, giving him the benefit of the doubt and trying to wiggle and get away from him. But his hands came back. They gripped me. They tugged at me, they pushed and they pulled, they invaded. Now all of a sudden this space that was a comfort and a nurturing place was not. I jumped up, I ran to my parents' bedroom and I was crying and I was upset. And I remember thinking immediately What's wrong? Why did this happen? What did I do? How, do? how come he's doing this? What, why did I, what did I do wrong? Maybe I caused this. It still amazes me to this day just how quickly we go to that place of trying to explain why this is happening to us. And because we have limited knowledge and because we have limited life experiences, children, the only things that we can draw upon are the things that we've lived, the things that we know. And all I had to reference at that time as a 10-year-old was, well, when bad things happen, you get into trouble, you've done something bad, you get grounded, you get punished, so I must have done something. It was very simple, easy logic as a child. It made total sense to me. 
As the abuse went on and as it escalated and it became more and more confusing, I began putting on the mask, pretending. I remember so clearly later that day when my mom asked me how my day was, like she always did, not knowing what to say for the very first time in my life. Imagine that. Maybe you felt that and you experienced that too in your own journey. That moment, that very clear moment of the before and the after. One day I was sitting out on the porch swing with my grandfather, struggling internally with thoughts like, why do I keep coming out here? Looking back on that now, I know I kept going out there because I wanted something different to happen. I wanted to redo. I wanted to reset. I wanted a moment of like, okay, never mind. Maybe that was all just a, a, a dream, a fantasy. Maybe none of that really happened because I can, can sit here next to him and, and not be hurt. On this particular day, my Aunt Betty rolled up into the driveway unexpectedly and my grandfather ripped his hands away from my body very quickly. And this was a moment when I finally understood for sure that he knew that what he was doing was wrong, that he didn't want other people to see. Oh my gosh, talk about making things even more complex because now I knew that this was something shameful, but I didn't think of it as his shame. I thought of it as my own, that I was this bad kid that was making him do these things to me and that nobody should know. And if somebody found out, surely something bad would happen. Well, that day finally came when somebody found out. My mom just happened to be walking by the front porch window and she looked out and she saw my grandfather touching me. Oh my gosh, my mom came blazing out onto the front porch. That memory for me is one of the most visceral, most intense memories. I don't remember her face. I don't remember what she was wearing. I don't remember her body, but I remember her movement and her voice. And just, Rachel, get in here. And I jumped up off of that porch swing like lightning. And I remember her taking me just right inside the door of the house. And her leaning over and her holding my shoulders and her saying, are you okay? What's going on? But because of the way that she approached that in that moment, my little self thought, I'm the one who's in trouble. She yelled at me to get inside. Now, one of the things that I love about the work that I do is I really support other people in looking at experiences through another lens. And when I look back at that experience now, I absolutely know that my mom was scared and she just wanted to get me away from him. She was trying to protect me. She wasn't blaming me. She wasn't putting the fault onto me. Now, she and my dad very quickly got my grandfather out of our house. This is something that I always make a point to highlight in my story because I've been, I've been working with people for many, many years now. And I do actually hear stories of people who were protected by their caregivers, who were believed, who were supported, who were given resources and care once the abuse was found out. But it does seem that more stories that I hear are ones in which children are cast aside, further sacrificed, 
not believed, even outright blamed. So I share this part to honor my mother and my father, especially my mother. This was her father. And so in that moment, there were a lot of decisions she had to make. There were a lot of things that she had to face very quickly. And she did it so beautifully. And I really thank her for that. My dad was protective as always. I watched him pack up everything and carry it out the next day. Like so immediately, he often showed love through his actions. When my grandfather was gone, I thought, okay, everything's just going to be normal again. Everything will be fine. My parents got me in to see a therapist. It was an older man. I remember sitting in that therapist's office, scared, unsure of what I was supposed to say, what was I supposed to talk about, but extremely uncomfortable and feeling unsafe. And there were a few things that he said along the way in our conversations that made me feel like I was at fault. He asked questions like, why did you go out on the porch? Did you ever think to wear something different than a tank top? I wish that this was such a rare occurrence. I hope it is actually getting rarer. You know, this this was back in the 80s. And so I think we've come a long way. Yet I do still hear stories of therapists who compound problems. And if I'm honest, in my work over the years, I've made mistakes. I've said things that I wish I could change or take back or do differently with my own clients. So while that guy was an ass <laughs> and clearly did not know what he was doing, I don't hold any ill will towards him, but it certainly did shut me down. And I said, no, I'm not going back. I don't want to talk about it. I would run off into the woods. So also down the street from my house was this beautiful path that went into the woods. I could go in there and I could just hide. And it was great to just feel cocooned and surrounded by nature. My mind would slow down. My heart would stop racing. It became one of my favorite places to go. I didn't know it then, but what I was doing was coping. I was soothing myself. I was escaping all of the hurt and the fear that I felt. As I moved in to my teen years, it was tough. There's no doubt about it. This trauma was not resolved and it was there and it was impacting how I felt about myself, the ways in which I interacted with other people, the ways that I felt afraid of connection. I got into lots of scuffles. I got into lots and lots of situations that were really dangerous. I didn't understand sex. My first experience with my sexual self had been a violation. And so I began to believe that that's what sex was, that I was there to serve somebody else's needs, that I was an object to be used, and that feeling violated was just a part of the journey, part of the experience. It wasn't until I was 17 and I fell in love for the first time. Oh, man, this boy, 
really opened my eyes in so many beautiful ways. I took risks that I had previously been really afraid to take around connection and communication. We moved in together, which is crazy pants looking back on it now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was adamant that I could live on my own and I could take care of myself. So here I am, 17. I'm going to school. I'm in high school. I'm actually working a full-time job by working in the evenings and on the weekends. And I'm setting up home with this boy. For a while, things were really beautiful. But we were immature, to say the least. And we both actually had lots of trauma. And so that relationship began to be dysfunctional and violent and chaotic. And eventually it ended. When I moved away to college, I was so excited. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And this was a new beginning. I was getting out of Oklahoma. I moved to St. Louis, the big city. <laughs> and I thought, okay, my time is now. I can leave all of that shit behind. I am going to start a new, start fresh, new beginning. Oh my gosh. But as all of you listening know, New beginnings don't happen by changing place. Wherever you go, you take yourself with you. And myself was still feeling pretty worthless, still really confused about love and relationship and attachment, still looking for somebody to tell me that I was good enough. I needed a lot of external validation. And so when I fell in love again, I was ready for it. I was excited to be in this new place and in this new relationship. And yet this particular boy saw right through me. He could see my pain. He could see the parts of me that were immature, undeveloped because of trauma. And he called it out. With that, I began therapy. I decided the time was now. And that's really when I begin to think about the Beyond Surviving program and how things evolve. This was a major moment of transition from a stage of victimhood where I was at the mercy of the past, where I was in denial about the past in a lot of ways, to a place of acknowledgement and willingness, to that survivor place. I decided it was time to face it, to start talking about it, to try to understand it to get a better sense of myself and what I was doing and why I was doing it. And so I began therapy and I found better therapists. And then I found not so great therapists. <laughs> it was definitely hit or miss. At the same time, this relationship was going the same way down the road of violence, emotional and verbal abuse. I was volatile. I was physically aggressive. He was volatile. He was physically aggressive. He was cruel. In many ways, that relationship, the most harm that was caused was all of the ways in which I came to, to believe everything that he said about who I was. And I lost myself. I lost my smile. I lost my joy. I lost my laughter. I became a shadow of who I really was. 
I began to push people away. I became more and more isolated. I just kept believing that if I could get it together, if I could get my shit together, then everything in this relationship would be fine. And I have to tell you that that experience has so informed the way that I work with my clients who are married or in partnerships. We have to bring the partners into the conversation because this idea that it's just us, we're the broken ones and we just got to get fixed and then all of a sudden we'll have the best relationship ever, well, it's bullshit. And so partners have to understand their role and their place in this healing journey. And mine certainly did not. Everything was on me. When we divorced, it was a new beginning. It was a clean slate for me, but it was also very scary. (laughs) I was in my 30s. I was single now. I was divorced. I still had this trauma that I'd made progress on, but now I had all this new trauma that I had to process and deal with too. I was in a new city. I had just a few contacts, not very many. I didn't know how I was going to make a living and how I was going to support myself and if I was ever going to be better. This daunting feeling that my life was just going to keep repeating in this pattern was so overwhelming. I was sitting with that thought. I was sitting with that fear one night when the strongest internal voice I have ever really heard came through so loudly and spoke to me. Rachel, you have got to get your shit together like right now or you are going to spend the rest of your life miserable, just surviving. That moment woke me up. And for any of you who are listening I hope you get to have a moment like that too. Yes, it's important to understand the experiences that you've had, to make sense of them, to talk about them, to just have a space where you can be heard and seen and understood. But if this moment of enough is enough doesn't click in for you, then I fear that you will be stuck at that survivor stage. And life will continue to be about coping and just surviving, and recovery, and always looking at the past. And I just knew, like, I didn't want that. I wanted my life back. I deserved to have my life back. And so I began reading everything that I could. I found some amazing women who were willing to be kind of guinea pigs and do some work alongside me once I had figured a few pieces of the puzzle out. Eventually, I did my master's in counseling psychology, and I studied neuroscience. And as the years have gone by, I just continue to learn more and more and more. This is something that I'm super committed to because I have to keep learning what the most recent research is and the techniques and the strategies and things that will really help propel us forward. But ultimately, everything came together into this idea of beyond surviving. And what that really means to me is that life stops being about the past. Life stops being about every day kind of dissecting and looking at and and trying to, you know, figure it all out. Instead, you have these experiences of trauma that are integrated. And all that really means is that there's perspective about the experience. When I think about the traumas that I've experienced, I don't have any reactivity. I don't have any reaction to those experiences. They're just a part of my story. 
just as much as growing up in Oklahoma and playing volleyball and loving to, you know, run around in the woods and, you know, going on family vacations and like all of it is just a part of my narrative. What's also true about Beyond Surviving is that I am equipped to navigate life going forward. We miss out on a lot of life lessons and a lot of skill development when we're growing up with trauma. We just don't have the capacity. And so that's actually one of my favorite things that I get to work on with my clients are these kind of life relationship communication skills. What does it mean to really trust someone? How do we actually communicate our needs? How do we even know what we need? What does it even mean to set boundaries and how do we navigate that? And much, much more. So what is Beyond Surviving? Beyond Surviving is everything that we hope and dream that we could get to be, that we could get to experience, independent of the fact that we experienced abuse. We get to have love. Oh, my partner is one of the greatest gifts that I have in my life today. Our connection is deep. Our connection is fulfilling. I'm loved in a way that I never thought I would be loved, and I love in a way that I always hoped that I could. Does that mean we are perfect? Uh, no. <laughs> no way at all. Man, we get in our skerfuffles. We get on each other's nerves. But we have deep commitment and deep love to each other, and that carries us through. I'm getting to do work that I love. I mean, in many ways, this wasn't my actual plan. I thought I was going to be a teacher. And I suppose in a lot of ways I am, but I thought I was going to be like an elementary teacher or a high school teacher. Life sometimes surprises us. And Beyond Surviving is about being open to those surprises. Beyond Surviving is about being able to use your voice to have the conversations that you need to have in order to create the life that you love. Beyond Surviving is about knowing when you're triggered, when you're activated, and what to do about it. Not feeling like you're at the mercy of activation or triggers or the past. There's so much more to my story. There's so many other experiences. But if I told you everything, we would be here for hours and hours. But what I most want you to know today is that I'm not special. There isn't something about me that makes it possible for me to live in this way, in this state of being that you can't access. Trauma is an injury. We've been injured. We've been harmed. Somebody else made a choice to do that. And yeah, we are here to pick up the pieces. And does that suck? Yeah. Is that unfair? Yeah. But I think what's ultimately worse is losing our life to the past. This is the thing that I am absolutely committed to. Trauma is not a life sentence. You should get to live your life. You should get to love. You should get to experience the things you want to experience. Pursue the dreams that you want to pursue. Wake up in the day not feeling full of dread and anxiety and fear. Feel confident. Feel good in your skin. Have great sex. These are the things that we deserve. These are the things that are ours to reclaim. When I thought about 
doing this work. Like, oh my gosh, I'm really going to do this. <laughs> okay, this is not just going to be for me. I'm going to see if this works for other people. Uh, I was afraid, y'all. There were fears. Oh my goodness. I was really, really worried that I was going to mess people up. Like, what if this doesn't work? I was really wondering, like, what if people judge this? What if they judge me? What if they think it's crazy the way that I'm approaching this? It's so outside of what existed at that time. It didn't even exist. I couldn't find anything. I made it the title Sexual Abuse Recovery Coach because I couldn't find something out there, a model to fall on. I remember maybe a couple of years into my work, I got my first piece of hate mail. <laughs> and I thought, aha, I have arrived. Okay, this is good news. People only get upset when you're pushing edges and you're pushing outside of the boundaries of what they think is okay. I remember sitting with that email and really dissecting it and really thinking about, is there any truth to what the person is saying? Let me not, let me be humble. Let me consider. But as I stepped back from that and I thought, wow, this was every fear I ever had. Somebody, who do you think you are? How dare you? This is, you know, taking advantage of people. And as I checked in with myself on each of those points and recognized the lie, recognized the untruth of what the person was saying, that bolstered me. It propelled me forward to keep going. Something that I still navigate today is how much of me is enough to give? And how much is too much? You know, in this work, whenever I go to a party and people say, well, what do you do for work? I work with survivors of childhood sexual abuse. That usually goes one of two ways. <laughs> Either the person says, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> or they say, wow, that's really hard, isn't it? Or maybe there's three ways. Wow, that's really amazing. Tell me more about that. And so this experience of every time I kind of go into a social situation, my experience of sexual trauma is going to be on the table. Some people are delicate. Some people ask outright, did this happen to you? Is that why you do this work? Some people just ask, how did you get started? <laughs> Which is the same question. <laughs> And I, of course, always have choice. I can, you know, but I, one of the things about being a beyond survivor and having these experiences integrated is I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of anything that happened to me. I'm not ashamed of any of the choices that I made because of the experience of trauma that I had. How could have I have done any differently? And my ultimate goal is to get people talking, to get people listening to help them understand that this isn't something that we need to hide or be ashamed of. That's exactly how sexual trauma continues to, you know, happen and perpetuate, remain the pandemic that it is. So facing those fears, that was a journey. That was a learning experience. It was deciding what was more important. Was it my fear or was it the difference that I wanted to make? Was it my fear or was it the experience that I wanted to have even of being with people and talking with people and sharing a journey with them? 
And so every day, bit by bit, I tackled little fears. Sometimes it would be just writing five sentences for the next chapter of the guidebook. That's all I can do today, (laughs) right? Sometimes it would be having a conversation with my mentor coach, getting some bolstering, getting some encouragement. But I'm so glad that I didn't let those fears hold me back. Because if I had, I wouldn't have met and worked with all of the amazing, beautiful people who I have over these past 14 years. The first person who really comes to mind when we started our first conversation, he said, well, you know, I'd really like to skip all of the relationship skills stuff. <laughs> I don't think I need it. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Tell me more about that. Why do you think that is? And he said, oh, Rachel, I'm over it. Look, I've been married. I've been divorced. I've tried dating. Everything falls apart. It never works out. I think I am just destined to be single. Wow. Wow. That's a heavy belief. So I said to him, you know, let's just cross that bridge when we get there. It's not until, you know, about month six of the program. So we've got time. By the time we'd done a lot of work clearing the trauma, clearing the shame, he had told his story and we were now entering into talking about relationship skills. He was ready. Give it to me. Okay. What are we going to do? What do I need to know? (laughs) And we worked through that and we worked through all of the beliefs that he had about people, about women, about sex, about trust, about vulnerability. And today he is married and has a little boy. There's a whole little human being in this world. And that's not the only one. One of my other clients, she really struggled many, many nights. I hold really good boundaries with my clients. This particular client just needed a little bit more. And so I did that. I showed up and we had some tough calls, some late nights. She was really on the edge. Hopelessness, despair. Why bother? Why keep going? Rachel, I get it. You have all this like optimism and excitement about life. And like, I'm not like that every day, (laughs) y'all. Like I have days where I'm down. I have days where I feel the struggle. I have days where I feel doubt. But I don't have days where I think it all should come to an end. And this woman was feeling that. And so I kept encouraging her and I kept pulling her back. And today, she's a mom. She did something she never thought she could do. She did uh, in vitro, right? She had that baby on her own. And now she has her little, what we call her Jedi in training. Another wonderful little human being here in this world. One of my clients has channeled all of her pain and frustration into art. And she is launching an art therapy program or an art for healing program. One of my clients, Cherie and Alicia, they found their voices and they have gone on to be huge advocates and influencers in the world of sex trafficking. And again, these are just a few of the people that come to mind. I really wish I could talk about every single person because every single person I've worked with has left an impression on my life. They have changed things. They have shifted their lives in such beautiful, wonderful ways. What I'm so excited about this year is that you're going to get to hear 
from so many people. They're going to be sharing with you what their life is like today, the amazing things that they're up to, and how their time and beyond surviving and continuing to use these tools is continuing to make a difference in their lives. So I hope you'll tune in every month to come and hear their stories. As I look ahead to 2021, I am excited about many things. I'm beginning to start to do trainings with businesses and organizations on how to create trauma-informed workplaces. Oh, this is such a such important topic. You know, we spend a lot of time at work, and if those places are not trauma-informed, then they can be hotbeds for re-traumatization, triggering. And so my colleague Ashley Easter and I have put together a training, and we're going to begin to reach out to businesses, companies, organizations um, to have us come in and really support them in creating workplaces that are healthy, functional, trauma-informed. I'm also really excited about a partnership with one of my dear friends and colleagues, um, Janae, who um, does primarily work around healing sexuality, and we're going to create a program for my graduates to help them dive even deeper into healing and reclaiming um, their sexuality after abuse, and that's just really exciting work. In the Beyond Surviving program, I get to see people doing a lot in this area. Clients who have been, you know, celibate for years with their partners are having great sex. Um, people coming into their bodies and feeling more, you know, just embodied, comfortable in their own skin. So I'm excited to kind of continue that work and deepen that work and, and move into it even more broadly. I also hope to continue seeing, you know, people joining my group programs and working with them one-on-one. -on -one. My 28-day boot camp for the brain program continues to be something that I'm very proud of that I offer as a resource and on a pay-what-you-can basis. I'll still be doing the monthly adult survivors of child abuse group. That's a virtual group that meets once a month. That is also donation-based. What I'm feeling and present to in this moment is thinking about my mom and dad and what they would think of how I live my life today. My dad died when I was 95. When, when I was 95, no. <laughs> my dad died in 1995. He had cancer, and I was 18. And I miss him a lot. I think that if he were here today, that he would put an arm around me like he did, that he would muss the top of my hair <laughs> like he did, and that he would just smile. I think my mom, she's alive, but she has Alzheimer's. And so at this stage in the progression of that disease, she no longer recognizes me. She no longer knows who I am, at least by name and by relationship. But I think my mom would say something that she's always said to me, which is, Rachel, you cannot save the world but you can help the person who's right in front of you. And I hope that in this work that I do, that I have made them proud, <laughs> that their effort and their love has not been in vain. And despite the harm that I've experienced at the hands of many men, and some women, 
that I've learned from those relationships, that I've learned from that pain, that I have taken it and formed something beautiful and good from it. And as you listen and as you join the Beyond Surviving community, my greatest wish for you is that you remain hopeful, that you keep remembering that you are not what happened to you, that you are beauty, you are light, you are love, you are hope, you are grace, you are power. And if there's ever any way that I can be a mentor or a guide to you, I welcome it in whatever way that might be. I hope you'll continue to connect with people, that you'll continue to seek out resources and support. We cannot do this alone. And I hope that you'll find encouragement in all the stories that you're going to hear this year. And you begin to notice and you begin to believe that that kind of life And that kind of healing can be yours. I truly believe it can. I'm adamant about that. (laughs) You cannot convince me differently. (laughs) Um, And I thank you all for listening today. Thank you for your support, your encouragement. As always, you can pop over to rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources that are available there. If you'd like to make a donation to the podcast, you can go to bit.ly slash beyond surviving podcast donation. All of the contributions will be applied towards funding scholarships, the running of the donation based and free programs, and making sure that those reaching out for support get what they need. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and please be sure to come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.